experienced strength and hope across multiple media platforms, the story of addiction, the road to recovery. Again, we're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step based organizations or groups in any way. But we're here at Powerless to Powerful Podcast. I got my co-host with me, Ronnie, no matter what. What's cracking on? What's up, Jay? What's happening? I mean, we're hitting sixth gear today, dude. I'm not messing around anymore, dude. We're here. The beard looks great, brother. Thank you, sir. You put something on that thing? No, not today. I just went all natural. Oh, sometimes you got to hang out with the wang out. Oh, my bad, brother. We'll keep it PG. I apologize about that. But the big thing is we got Chuck in the building. Big Chuck in the house. Yeah, we got Chuck here, entrepreneur, works at a reentry facility, advanced peer services. It's, it's in my opinion, it's going to revolutionize the whole game. And if you work for a treatment center or anyone that's out here hearing that, if you're not getting a part of what we got going on or what he's got going on, the founder is here in the building, Advanced Peer Services, it's where it's at. And we'll kind of close the show just really talking about that. But I think it's important for everyone to really understand, you know, we don't just get to sit here and you're not just someone that reached out because, you know, thank you for everyone who reaches out all the time, wants to be on the show, right? I mean, Ron gets messages all the time. Check out the TikTok, right? Ronnie, no matter what. I mean, with the TikTok, <laughs> where do you get the ideas, brother? I don't know half the time, but but Chuck wanted me to rename it to what? I do want him to be called Ronnie right now. <laughs> Ronnie, <laughs> like Ronnie. I'm Ronnie right now. <laughs> yeah, it's got a good ring to it. Yeah. But we got Chuck in the building, man, and so welcome, Chuck, man. Good Thanks for being on the show today and taking the time out of your busy day to be here. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to come on to your your platform. And, yeah, I mean, and, and express that change is possible, and we all do matter, especially when it comes down to. You know, God having a hold on your life and, and moving your recovery into something sustainable. Yeah, I mean, it's really life or death. And without God and a higher power in your life, I mean, for me and, and for many people, there's just, it's it's relief and not recovery. But I think it's safe to say that you two didn't meet at the library. No. You didn't meet at the computer lab. No. So why don't you tell, why don't you guys kind of tell the story of, you know, how you guys met and just a little bit of the history between you two. So, <clears throat> from everybody who's heard my story, you know, uh, this last person census I did, I got seven years. And I was a pretty broken man when I got there. Um, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I, I was a wreck. I mean, we don't come to prison on a winning streak, brother. No, not at all. Um, and I didn't even, even being in county, I didn't even get healthy, you know. I, you know, Most of the time when people come from county, they got a little bit of weight to them from eating those peanut butter sandwiches. But I was at the point where I was in the cell by myself the entire time because I couldn't be around anybody. And, Oh, you are a shitter and a spitter? Uh, I just didn't play well with others. Oh, okay, I, I um, get it. So, when I got to the yard, um, I got to a particular one where Chuck was and a bunch of other guys who, who, who some of them are my friends today as well, too. Not as close as Chuck and I are. And uh, Chuck gave me my first cup and he gave me a hat when I got to the yard. And uh, That's a rare thing. Extremely rare, you know, uh, because especially at that time, uh, there was a lot of tension, right? There was a lot of tension on the yard. There was a lot of tension in the particular run that I got moved into. And uh, for some reason, man, he just reached out to me and he, and he helped me out. And for you that have been to prison, the smallest gesture can change everything. How do you remember that, though, Chuck? So he was a hobby. What was he looking like? I mean, describe him. When you talk about broken, what's it look like? Well, I had already been there for a second, and I came in not... Not skinny, uh, like Ron. I came in from county looking healthy and fat, but oh, I knew sandwiches. 
I knew the look he had on his face because I had the same look on mine when I got there. And I saw him out in front of the building uh, turning red and sweating and not knowing, if, not really knowing what was going on, it looked like. And he definitely no one was going up and asking him or trying to talk to him or, or give him any type of encouragement. So uh, we had a short conversation and I, I realized he probably needed some water. So I asked him <laughs> if he uh, if he had a cup. Yeah, if he had a cup. And this was before the state was actually issuing us our cups. So uh, we, I went back to the run and gave him a cup, and I realized he was red and gave him a hat as well and told him if you're going to be hanging out in front of the building, you should wear this. Uh, we don't want to see you burnt. Uh, <laughs> um, but like I said, with Ron, um, I was the same as just as anybody else. I didn't give things to people. And this is where standing back now, seeing what God had a hold on Standing back now with the understanding I have of my higher power and seeing back then that giving Ron that cup has built the relationship that we have today and produced the path to build a friendship. Me and Ron didn't become friends at that point. We just became people that lived around each other and, and we took care of them. But later down the road, we became friends. I ended up getting moved. I worked in the kitchen. We'd bring Ron food, and, or bring the Ron home food, but Ron lived in the front. and we, or At that time, we lived in the back. Yeah. yeah. So what, I mean, when you say kitchen, I mean, what kind of shenanigans were going down in that kitchen? Well, um, everything that could be brought out was brought out. I had a, <laughs> I had a apron specially made by in, in the clothing department that Couple looked like the pocket stopped about mid-thigh, but they went all the way down to my ankles on the inside. Uh, I used to be so excited to see you guys in the kitchen. I know it was time to eat. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I built it uh, at that time because I had no money, and and my family had pretty much written me off at that point. So, uh, so, land. so I had to, yeah, I had to think outside the box. And when you're living in a box, potato flakes and uh, tomato paste is the best way to live off that land when you're the warehouse uh, clerk in the kitchen. So I was doing that, and I was bringing food and things. And shortly after that, I got it was uh, it went from Christmas. They found about 40 gallons. New Year's, they found about 40, 50 gallons. And then Super Bowl was coming. And he used to stink in front of the building. Right, so we're talking about hooch for all the listeners out yeah. there. Yeah, I'm just going to educate everyone. We're talking about prison yeah, alcohol. Yeah. And, and, and you got to have the ingredients. And Chuck was the man. They had the ingredients. So we're talking about, think about everyone just kind of picture 60 gallons. <laughs> like, think about a gallon of water. Think about 60 of those. All over the place. That's a good night. Um, and then Super Bowl was coming, and the, 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 the SSU was hip to what was happening, and they hit both sides of the yards and found, not only on our side, but the other side, uh, 50, roughly 55 gallons each on each side of the yards. So you have it like buried ahead. outside, or like by the building, or it buried? Was, or, yeah, no, it got dumped in front of the building, for sure. Were you using uh, trash cans? or uh, Using big bags, five-gallon buckets, everything that could be... Well, the other hustle, too, was bringing buckets out to make the yeah. gin. Yeah, from um, the automatic burpers on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't hook a shampoo bottle to it. It'll best to taste that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I got shortly after that, I got... The warden came in and basically got rid of, they knew it was coming through me, couldn't prove it, removed me from the kitchen, and then eventually uh, ultimately moved me from the yard and sent me off to Red Rock. Uh, I went to Red Rock for about two years, uh, did the same thing, same exact thing over there. Uh, built a, Over there was a different type of yard where they didn't have access to the, the illegal drugs, so everything was made commodity was hooch. and. Uh, Somehow I didn't catch any tickets. Ended up in uh, at, going back to Minimum Yard where I then picked up an ACI job and I was 
uh, not allowed back in the kitchen ever again, so I got the ACI job there. Uh, Ron shortly after that pulled up and became my next door neighbor, and I really didn't even recognize Ron. When he looked over and he looked at me and said, hey, they just took my cup you gave me, and then it clicked who he was. Yeah, and then you remembered. Uh, that's where our friendship really, really sure. developed. Uh, Ron and I worked ACI together. We went out. We spent, I want to say we spent over a thousand hours together just just talking. What ACI job do you guys have? Oh, we were at uh, Papa John's. Oh, Papa, shout out Papa John's. We were uh, in a freezer all day. And yeah, we were in a freezer all day. And, and and from that moment when I hit minimum and they and I walked in the run and they put me right next to Chuck and they had just taken my cup and I was really mad about that because that cup meant a lot to me, you know. This was it one of those thing. cups that you didn't you just you know threw some water in and washed out it had about yay thick uh coffee, coffee stain. stain on it oh yeah I mean, yeah. I, yeah i had the same type of cup <clears throat> and uh i knew when they put me next to chuck this time i knew that because at that point i had already been working in program recovery for a few years i was starting to develop yeah, i mean super tough program recovery. I, I, I was starting to develop this this connection with my higher power, and that's where the belief system that I believe that, you know, my God wears people clothes, right? I love that. And that, and that when He made us, if you believe it or not, when He did, He left His thumbprint on each and every one of us, and He's inside of us, if you like it or not. And that was proof. They put me next to Him, and we were pretty much inseparable. Yeah. You know. You know. That point, working together, eating together every meal, taking those long bus rides. You know, and just talking about life. You know, we didn't talk about the shenanigans. That's not the stuff we talked about. We talked about real life stuff. Yeah, it, it, I've always been one to, to voice where I'm coming from on things, and, and, and Ron is as well. And I think that's why we got along so well. Because as soon as any type of nonsense would come up, and another thing, <laughs> right there in people's faces, like not not in an aggressive or violent way, but in a more of hey, we're going to hold you in an accountable way. Like, right. We hear all hear a lot of shit in prison and a lot of stuff that. Just you know, standing back is not true, and I've never heard anything not true come out of Ron's mouth, and that's hard to find when you're when you're in that environment for sure. Uh, the, the relationship with me and Ron, as far as being friends, and this is I really take it back to like one of the moments I see that God had a, a plan for me. Now standing back and seeing, like I said, we're all sitting here together ten years later, all of us doing well out of prison. But Ron kind of watched me go through a spiritual conversion that I was unaware of when we were going back and forth on that bus and having um, the discussions with, and hearing the discussions around us. And there was there were people definitely on our crew that were against against God. And I didn't even know anything about God at that point. Yeah. I just knew it was someone that someone told me they'd pray over me and uh, I was saved and didn't have to worry about my actions. And I find out later that was 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, <laughs> I was upset with the way things were going, and I ended up getting my whole back tattooed in a religious piece I didn't even understand at the time. <laughs> and Ron, this guy got infidel across my back, and then God we trust on the bottom, and the skull with the gas mask, with the cross, with the blood of Christ dripping out of it. And I don't even understand what any of this is. I just want to prove a point when we stripped out that God exists. Right. And you're not going to tell me I can't talk about him just because you don't want to hear about him. And then that's kind of where me and Ron. And, Standing back in, standing back now and seeing it, I'm like, man, this guy watched me have this full, like, mental, at the time I thought <laughs> mental breakdown, but now I'm seeing that it was a spiritual, it was right. a spiritual message or a spiritual thing that was happening to me. And, you know, real quick, Chuck was, was one of those guys, I, I had a handful, 
I got along with everybody this last seven years, you know. All social no programs. batons, no tasers, I mean. No, no, there was none of that, God, actually. And, and I had a handful, maybe two handfuls of guys who you wouldn't think that I would be hanging out with and associating with the closest I was on the yard because I was the recovery guy, yeah. right? I was always in the big book or I was always in the Bible or I was always watching something religious on TV or something positive. And at that time, there was this group of guys who respected me for who I was, and I respected them for who they were. Because because my higher power put it on my heart, who am I? Who am I to judge anybody after what I had just gone through the last 25 years of active drug addiction? You know, Jason. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was there, brother. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're there and, and your own experience, right? Sure. Because sometimes we feel like we don't matter. Right. And that... If all this is true and all this beautiful stuff that, that God is going to provide for me, that's for them, not me, because I blew my chance. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, and so it, it's always one of those things where we talk about God, and you know, you said a couple of things, you know, that, that really that really stuck out to me, you know, because it, 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 it's the power that flows through us. Like, mm. it, it says, and we agnostics in the big book, I don't want to thump the big book, but I can't help myself sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it says, yeah, deep yeah, down yeah. in every man, woman, in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God, but it gets obscured by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or another, it's there. So it's a power that flows through us. And like you said, Chuck, I wish I could just go home at night and just pray all my fucking problems away and just pray to be sober and just pray to have a good job and pray to have money in my bank account. But it don't work that way, right. dude. you got to do the action steps. This relationship that we've all created with our own conception of a higher power is a 50-50 relationship. i got to do the footwork daily, every day, to the best of my abilities, and the outcomes are in my higher power's you know, hands. That's his 50%. And through awareness, like moments like this and seeing how you guys have met and then I meet him and then the, everything that we put together sure. and we can experience God. And now it's just not a belief in step two. I'm just going to believe that there, yeah, that's the start. That's the beginning. But your spirituality is progressive just like recovery is progressive, just like your addiction is progressive. you got to continue to treat it and we treat our spirituality through experiences like this. But every story starts somewhere. So why don't you briefly, Chuck, just kind of tell us a little bit about childhood, the family dynamic, what it was like for you growing up. Let's just hear a little bit more about your backstory. All right, well, basically I, started, I grew up, I was born uh, to a regular mom and dad, normal family, went to work every day, uh, both of them did. We, I was raised correctly. That's what I want to make sure that I say first. I was raised sure. correctly by a good family. and. Yeah, shout out, mom and dad. Mom shout and dad, out, you did mom. a great job. I know it didn't yeah. look like it for a while, but <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you were building a resume this whole time. Yeah, I guess so, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it, for me, though, I was raised. Uh, I felt normal. I was in a middle middle class neighborhood. You know, like I said, they worked all the time. I was really involved in sports. My dad was my uh, baseball coach from t-ball all the way up to basically high school. What positions you play? Uh, catcher. Okay. I was a catcher. How, how the knees these days? Um, Luckily, I didn't play much longer in high school. No, definitely feel them now. I definitely yeah, feel some stuff at this sure. age. But uh, and I have a brother as well that was right behind me with the baseball. But my mom was my team mom. Uh, I had problems in school as far as being able to keep my attention. Felt that I was born um, defective, in a matter of speaking. Couldn't really pull everything together the way everyone expected me to. Uh, not, that, not for lack of, like I said, not for lack of, of trying on their part, sure. for sure. Uh, I think my dad spent more time at the at my school than I did. 
Uh, <laughs> definitely more time with my school than he did at work. Uh, but moving through that, I ended up getting into high school, uh, lost the family dy dynamic in the baseball, ended up between grades and uh, thinking I was better than I was and throwing a fit, basically throwing a fit on the baseball field, walking off like they would call me back tomorrow and I never played baseball again. Mm -hmm. And you know, through, throughout the whole time I was raised and playing ball and everything else on teams and all-star teams and things like that, everybody that saw me play said that I had more natural ability than every, anybody they had ever seen before. Uh, I had a, definitely had a, a baseball career in my future, and again, couldn't I couldn't make everything work at once. So when I ended up doing with the baseball, when I didn't have that in my life anymore, the next step for me was okay. How else can I destroy my life? You know, um, and it became now I'm smoking weed, I'm drinking already. Even while I was playing baseball in high school, I was already drinking. But uh, got into the smoking weed. Got into not going to school, but then I got into the meth. And as soon as I did that, that defectiveness I felt in my brain was all of a sudden gone. I could, uh -huh. I, could achieve, meth <laughs> I could achieve things that I was never able to. I was able to hold some things together, but I was also able to tear things apart I never thought I'd be able to touch. You know, and, and never put them back together. Ever. Right? <laughs> and this is the state I'm at right now is putting some of those things back together, sure. especially with, uh, when it comes to my family. You know, back to when I met Ron, I was in the same position as him no family support, no anything. They pretty much ripped me off the same way. Your mom came in later and told you right. don't get any tickets and don't do these things. Um, you act like a normal person while you're in there and she would be there for you when she got out. And I remember Ron really, really, really going insane and not wanting to be in trouble and not wanting any part of the hooch and not wanting any part of the business end of what went on in prison because he was really, really, uh, really wanted the, the approval of his mother when he got out again yeah, and support. Yeah. You know, I mean, shit. so we get sober because we're sick of just feeling like shit, right? But it's the it's the moms who never gave up on us. It's the dads who spend more time at our school than they did at work. It's the kids. It's the, you know, those are the motivating factors that help us continue to do our part of that 50-50 relationship I was talking about and get our feet moving a little bit quicker, you know, every Something I hear day. you say all the time, Jay, and, and, and it's something that's embedded in me, right? The, the mom, the dad, those relationships, the kids, all that stuff uh, isn't enough to get me sober, but it will get my feet going in the right direction. That's right. I, I remember I heard you say that the first time I heard you speak when we got out of prison and we, and, and we reunited. And when I heard you say that, that resonated with me so much because it's not enough, but it will get them going in that direction. And if I'm present, and if I do my best to, to serve others and be kind and, and, and be open-minded, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, look, look at us three sitting here at the table right now. <laughs> it's a miracle. Dude. A miracle. Nothing, nothing short of a miracle. It's, so with, with the uh, feeling of the defectiveness being gone and then actually now fitting into an outside group, which isn't involved with sports, which isn't with family, um, I got really into trying to get away with things that were felonies. I was trying to get away with felonies. <laughs> and, uh, I got really wrapped up early on, about right after the baseball thing, about 15, 16, I learned how to uh, make meth. I was, oh, you're I was a cook. Yes. You're Chef Boyardee. <laughs> See? But yes. See. Yeah. <laughs> See yeah. I, I learned how to cook meth at an early age, which... Are we talking about shake and bake? Or are we talking about no, we're talking, chemistry uh, set? No, we're talking chemistry set. Okay. All right. Just, I, I'm, all right. I mean, I don't need to get yeah, right. <laughs> uh, But what ended up happening was I found 
a route to fast money. I found a route to, now I'm not the man in baseball anymore, but I'm the man on the street. I'm the man that everyone wants to wants to deal with. And at the, at the same time, the same person nobody wanted to deal with because when I also became a, a liar, yeah, you know, sure. I became a liar and I became a thief and I became whatever I needed to be in order to continue to be that man. And it, it just didn't work out for me the way I had hoped it would. I, long, I'll go ahead and fast forward a little bit. I ended up uh, going to jail, county jail, a couple different times, and then getting released, going back, getting released. I was on, like, I think, six or seven different probations in California uh, at one time to the point where my paid attorney that my mom and dad paid a lot of money to actually quit on me. He said, you're making me look bad. He's like, like, hey, brother, I'm I got to tap out. I'm probably yeah, going in and telling him you're great, and then you're, you've got another case yeah, for me. Yeah, put a motion in for a change of counsel. Yeah, so <laughs> you change a client. So in this time, though, I met my ex-wife. Uh, I'm not, I was going to say her name, but I'm not going to. Uh, I met my ex-wife, and I had my first son with her. And at that point, everything got really very real for me. I had no skills. I wasn't going to play baseball. I couldn't keep a job. Every time I got, my dad would give me a job. My pager would go off. It was pagers at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I would oh, all of a sudden feel like I'm losing money being here, but really what I was losing was myself yeah. uh, and my family and everything around me. And I had this grand idea at my son's first birthday when I showed up there with uh, stolen gifts. You know, yeah, I was out, sure. of course, you know, yeah. some huge shit off someone's front porch and, and some stolen stuff that from Toys R Us, when Toys R Us was around still. And uh, I had this deal coming up for uh, 20 pounds, if I could get 20 pounds of meth, this and that. And the way this shakes out is pretty funny. I ended up going to prison in California for it, which we had talked about. But what happened was I couldn't get 20 pounds of meth. So what I did was, is I'm manufacture something that looks similar and would melt. Talk about salt? I'm talking about MSM with a little bit of hydrogen peroxide in it and a drop of muratic for some taste and burn. Uh, but okay. at the end of the all day, right. man, okay. you melt it down in a pan, get some shards out of it, and I showed, you up go. With, I showed up with 20 pounds of fake meth to this uh, drug deal. Yeah, I and, wasn't very happy about that. Well, hear me out. <laughs> right. I'm at this house and uh, the guy who... I had someone who actually followed me in case they did try to kill me, but try to get me out of there. And he called me and said, hey, get out of the house. The cops are uh, setting up. I see the cops getting ready to go in right now. Oh, they are about to hit a raid right when you did it? I was selling it to the cops. I was selling <laughs> it. No, but I ended, up getting, uh, um, I ended up getting weekends for this. Because it wasn't real dope? Yeah, it got sales in lieu of. Uh, sales exceeding five keys was the original charge. They brought that down. Still on my record. Uh, sales in lieu of. And they let me out on probation. Well, that happened, and then I got caught manufacturing. Once I got, that's what ended up ultimately sending me uh, to prison. prison. I got a reduced paid attorney, like I said. Got a reduced down to possession with intent to manufacture. Ended up in a rehab for 90 days instead of jail time. Because at that time now, uh, let's back up. That time my wife was pregnant. I got caught for the. I was on probation already for that first. Uh, then I caught the sales exceeding five keys in lieu of. And then I got busted uh, with a gun and ended up going to prison. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. <laughs> and so that's what recovery teaches us, right? Recovery teaches us to identify a problem, get to the solution. It's our job to get to the solution. But previous, for, for all three of us in here, all we've known previously is problem, more problem, contribute to the problem, add another case, add five more years, add mm -hmm. another year, violation. <laughs> you know, I was on three releases and caught a new case. 
Sure. Right? You were there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> right? I, got, I ended up getting 16 months with half in California to do halftime. And in that 16 months, the police were so upset about me trying to burn them for 20 pounds that <laughs> every time I was about to get released, a new charge would come up. A new charge. Hey, sure. and so this turned into my now, at that point, six with half. I have to go back to court and get sentenced for another two years, another two years, another two years, and finally, finally I was about to get released and California was done and I got extradited to Vegas for transportation charges that I had out there, uh, transportation of drugs, obviously. Yeah. And I went out there and my mom and dad had, my poor mom and dad, <laughs> they had moved, uh, they had moved to Las Vegas to get away from me. And you got extradited And I got there. extradited out there, but <laughs> in that time, I got moved to a prison that was in between Vegas and California. My dad hadn't retired yet, so he was commuting on the weekends back and forth. So he started stopping to see me. I developed a relationship with them. Uh, went to Clark County Detention Center in Vegas. Again, paid attorney out of luck. My dad knew a state senator who was actually okay. an attorney. Right. Let's give dad another shout out. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. every single time. You know, he did. Like he said, did his best, but. Got out and that's when I thought I had some recovery. And what it was was relief of an itch. And, and I was doing well. My wife, uh, ex-wife, was going through nursing school. She ended up moving up to Vegas with uh, me. I was working for what was called uh, Bon Appetit Pastries. You guys probably eat them here and there. I was the muffin man for a while. Oh, I was the muffin well. man. I had a, had a route. I was a route manager. And uh, next thing you know, just one day I wanted to get high. And, and I found a way. I didn't know anyone in Vegas, so it made it easy not to. But as soon as I met somebody, it was over. Rap, I am uh, now hiding it from everybody. And off to jail I go again in Vegas. And it just progressed and progressed and progressed. And I get out of, I go to drug court. Did it flawlessly for a year. Like I said, again, relief, not recovery. Had no spirituality behind it. No understanding. I just knew that everybody was telling me I had to stop. And I knew I had to stop, but I just didn't know how or what to. And man, if things didn't get bad from there, I went to jail, got busted up in busted up in Utah. Utah. What are we doing in Utah? Um, <laughs> that's a funny <laughs> story. And this is a good yeah, great story. Jazz if my ex-wife ever sees this, um, I was messing around with this chick that we all went up to Utah, and uh, I left her there. And at some point, she <laughs> she needed a ride back, and I, so I took this other girl, and we went up there to get her, and then, I don't even know what happened, we got all the way to get her, but I decided we're just going to leave that chick there again. And we left, and I fell asleep driving. Uh, I fell asleep driving, got caught up uh, at the time when they were doing that Warren Jeffs trial, the polygamous trial. Oh, yeah. I just watched a Netflix thing on that. Did you yeah, see that? He's a freaky dude, man. Yeah, he's uh, a trip. Well, because of that, in the small town I got pulled over in, they had like the town on lockdown because they thought his followers were going to try to break him out. Uh, so in this, I had fireworks from the Indian reservation in my car, mortars. And uh, when the cops pulled me over <laughs> and mortars. did all this, I fell asleep. I was asleep in the backseat of the car and uh, the cop car knowing I'm going to jail. I wake up, they got this rental car now, all tore apart on the side of the 15 freeway. And I'm being charged with uh, rocket propelled explosives. Oh, and shit. so now I'm going through this thing at court where they call it a stand-up sit-down. So I was there forever. And, and not knowing the rules in Utah, I was actually given a bail that I could make, but I didn't know yet. So I waived time thinking I'm going to bail out, 
catch 90 days of freedom and yeah, and, and, well, yeah. We, was, we always say that we get my fares right. Yeah. I just need a little bit of time yeah, to get my fares. fares you never said that right. Fares. Well, yeah. that, that, this is what ends up happening: is that I waive time, and you have to have someone you know in Utah sign for you to get out on bail. And I don't know anyone in Utah except for the girl I left, and there's no way to get a hold of her. She's not going to do it. She, she wasn't from there, so. Finally, right at Christmas, I get in front of a judge. I have an attorney finally call me because they were doing what's called stand-up sit-downs, this video court thing. There's some new thing I'd never seen or heard of before, and I got released. I, I, got, I got out on probation. I had charges in Vegas again because now I'm on probation. So I go right before Christmas thinking, yo, they're going to um, release me because they release everybody because they want the jail cleared out for New Year's. Didn't work out that way. They, uh, I turned myself in. They kept me. I get <laughs> I get out, and now again, some sobriety behind me, and they, this is never going to happen again, and I get a job in the Painters Union, making good money. Uh, at this point now, I have my ex-wife up there with my first son, and we've had a daughter now coming into this. Uh, again, found a way to get some dope, and just destroyed everything, you know, and, I, and they told me not to take some time off work. Actually, I was doing well at this point, and they told me not to take this time off of work that I took off, and I went to California. And when I went to California, I stopped at a buddy's house, another buddy calls a bunch of buddies, and next thing I know, I'm driving back to Vegas with two pounds of dope in my car back when dope was $10,000 a pound with no outlet in Vegas, I ended up in Kingman. Kingman, yeah, shout out. Kingman, Kingman. you ever been to Kingman, Ron? Oh yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, the trailer park on, what is it, Butler? Yeah, that's where I was at. The crazy God. part is, is this, yep. just, this started in Havasu. I connected the dots, brother. This started Valley. in Havasu, and I got picked up. Something happened where this girl grabbed the wheel of my friend's car, told us that she tried to crash at us down so that the cops could come save us. Well, I hop out of the car. We ended up giving her the car. We keep the dope. She goes back to California. Now we have no car. We call someone out in Kingman that comes and gets us that we know from uh, Chino, California, where we're from. Uh, shout out to Chino. Oh, Chino. Uh, either way. Uh, she comes and gets us, and we're driving down a street called uh, Northern, and... I'm looking, me and my buddy were looking, and I said, dude, this is where we need to be selling dope. And uh, out of coincidence, the house I point at, as you see the back side of this, it's Butler. Mm -hmm. She says, that's my house. And we turn in there, and we're, and all of a sudden, we're just selling a mad amount of Isn't dope. it crazy how that trailer park goes sideways, the yeah. streets? <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. the whole, the, yeah. there was no thought process. I was in Kingman one time, yeah. dude, and, and uh, I was there on a trip, and I wasn't feeling so good. I was dope sick, and, uh, you know, I, I'm rolling around. First off, people always think I'm a cop, right? So I pull up, I'm, you know, I'm dressed nice because I'm a door-to-door salesman. Pull up in a Tahoe, of course, a company vehicle, but it's a Tahoe. And I'm hey dude to people, hey dude, you know where you're getting dope at? And the, this one dude's like, yeah, yeah, I can get you some dope. And he's like, here. And I felt for the, I was so dope sick, I didn't even care. I'm like, all right, I'll be right here. He hopped oh, out the trailer park. You know, there's no gates or fences or nothing. All of a sudden, dude, dude was gone, dude. I chased, I ended up finding this dude, chased him all the way to Golden Valley, which was about right. 20 minutes outside of it. It was a shit show. I know that trailer park, old butler. Yeah. You ever been to that trailer park? No. Oh, you just been in prison out there. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful sunset on that yard, huh? Man, windy. Yeah, super windy. <laughs> windy and sometimes rainy. <laughs> yeah. And so now here you are, you're in Kingman, and um, you know you got some dope, and now you're the man again, you know? I found, exactly. We became, and that was me and my old partner from California, we're up there uh, doing these things, doing this, doing it, you know? And we're across the street from the house that all the dope is going through, and my buddy was just like, hey, 
And if, just like you were driving a Sequoia on 20s, yeah. you know, your brand new vehicle, we don't fit in, we're not on bicycles. Definitely not our, in that neighborhood. We have our teeth, yeah. we have everything going on, we're not, and uh, we're standing across the street, and he says, have you ever seen so much traffic in your life, like, just going in and out, these people, and I said, yeah, but we're the only ones coming and going in the car. And that was a bad sign for us, and shortly after that, uh, I ended up in a, a Things falling apart. I couldn't control my habit with the pride. Things were going on. I ended up in a, a high-speed chase in a stolen truck, uh, shooting at not. Now at this point, I just had a regular citizen chasing me, and I tried to be. Yeah, a good Samaritan chase you. I did. The, the, um, the block watch. Butler's got a block watch on that trailer park. Well, this is how it happened. Is uh, I stole this car off a car lot. By the okay. way. Okay. Uh, All right. I pulled up to go to my drive. Yeah. Test drive gone wrong. I uh, <laughs> pulled up uh, in front of a house and I seen, kind of noticed I was being followed by someone but didn't pay too much attention because I try not to focus on things like that. I'll never get anything done with the paranoia. But I realized that the car that just had passed me had the same dealer plate as the truck that I was driving. So um, now I put two and two together that this is probably the car lot following me. It was a little mom and pop shop uh, lot. So I take off, boom. And when I take off, I lose the car lot guy fairly quickly because in my mind I said no one will chase me through a school zone. Yeah, oh yeah. So definitely I, not doing it. So I fly through this school zone as fast as I can, angry parent chases me. Oh god. So this is so now my I kids off, play on this now street. I'm out peeled off into the desert and I see that some of these vehicles just chasing me through sand washes. I'm in a big lifted Dodge Ram, this guy's a little Jeep Liberty. I can't figure out how he's keeping up. I stop the car and get out and tell him, hey, I apologize. He hops out with a baseball bat. I say, oh, yelling that the cops are on their way, asshole, this and that. And, uh, so I got him a little bit deeper out of the desert, took a couple pot shots, not at him, just out the window. Some warning shots. Yeah. That's all, this, this sounds like a Ronnie no matter what. <laughs> I was running out of gas. <laughs> I was running out of gas. I needed to stop being chased. Uh, so I get out on the main highway after he's done chasing me, and man, I've never seen so many red and blue lights waiting for me. So I... There's a fishing game, a federal wildlife building out there. I pull in, figure I'm just gonna give up. Yeah, I'm tapping out on well, this. Well, I pull in and they don't do nothing. They just look at me, so I'm like, man, Chase is back on. Yeah. Like, at that point, I'm not gonna give up anymore. So I took off, I got around their spike strip, which I had restitution, I had to pay for two, eight tires. How much did they cost? What's that, the strips? Yeah. No, I'm talking about the tires that the, the oh, two okay. cops chasing me ran over. I had to pay for their eight tires that they blew out chasing me. Uh, Ended up, I just, by the way, I had this old man with me because we were out antiquing. <laughs> antiquing? <laughs> yeah, we were antiquing. You ever antiquing? Which, yeah. Which is, uh, which is code for uh, stealing. Yeah. Stealing off people's property, you know, uh, abandoned, hopefully. Yeah, we're pickers. Yeah, exactly. American pickers. Yeah. Uh, so I got this old man with me, and he's like, has no idea what's going on, and I just jumped out of the car, out of the truck, and let it go. And when I jumped out, I did have the gun in my hand still, and the cops... I didn't hit the ground running, I hit the ground rolling. <laughs> but still, swung up, flung up on my feet, pants around my knees at that point, and I got this pistol in my hand, and the cops are just stopped, all just staring at me now, and I just threw the gun over my shoulder and took off on foot. Uh, that got me six years in prison. Oh, so, the six piece? Yeah, so the six, my, my Arizona prison sentences started with that, and... Like I said, that's where we ran into Ron. Ron, why does, I mean, that history right there just sounds like your history. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there's some real good similarities there. And and I think, you know, I was sitting here listening, I've heard that story, right? <laughs> I've heard that story before several times, right? Um, 
again, I believe, and this is my belief, God uses us even if we, we don't believe. And I think at some point, our relationship, mine and Chuck's relationship, he knew that the two of us were cut from the same cloth. But when he saw me the very first time, I was this broken, frail old man. And then when we reconnected years later, he's seen a totally different person. And I believe that is what started maybe something in Chuck to think, hey, man, what's going on here? Because we don't believe in coincidences, you know. And um, So you're talking like you became visual proof, right? Yeah, you say it all the time, yeah. having that visual proof. And I, I, you know, you could tell me about unicorns all day long, but until I see a unicorn, I'm not going to believe it, you know. Until I could see somebody who'd been where I'd been and watching them recreate their life um, just by serving others and being kind and, and doing the small things, it's that miracle, it's that inner miracle. You know, and it, it's just a beautiful thing, and, and, and for me, because I had many of those in my path, and then that's what we become. We become that example for other people because it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, I hate to do it again, but I'm going to do it. It says in the big book of a trembling, <laughs> despairing, nervous wreck, emergent man, bringing over with self reliance and contentment, right? And that's what we become. I mean, the third step prayer is one of the most powerful prayers, right? It's like, Victory, bear witness, right? I want everyone to bear witness of the change and how it comes over you. And when they bear witness to that change, they'll see it. You will become visual proof of how powerful I am. And when they see that change come over you, then I'll be able to help them with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And so that's this this whole story kind of just picks back up with you know the change that you had made through working a program recovery, but ultimately the, the program, it doesn't matter what program you work or what your recovery looks like. Everybody's recovery looks different, but sure. the fundamental aspect of it is spirituality and the application process of it. Because the power from the knowledge comes from the application of it. If we don't know how to apply it, we're not going to get any change from it. It don't work that way, right? Right. I mean, if you, you just got to listen to Chuck's story, right? You know, he, he, would, he said it himself. He had relief, not recovery. Um, the craziness, uh, all, all the sadness yeah, in his life. And then... He would have that brief moment where your brain would tell you everything's okay because you got a painting job and you're back in the house again. But then it was this constant, now, now you got me doing it. The big book talks about us building the structure, right? And now what do we do? We rip it down upon everybody. So that's a series of sprees. See, but we, the three of us, had this uncanny ability as we're ripping it down, we get out of the way and it falls on everybody else, right? right. And then we go and we repeat this cycle over and over and over again. <clears throat> and then for me, to see where he's at right now, because I remember when he was getting all those tattoos on his back. Infidel, gas mask. I was like, oh my God, what's he doing? There's a, there's a better story behind that I'll get to in a minute. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's hear that story because, you know, everything leads up to this point. You can call it the gift of pain and desperation. You could talk about the, the burning bush moment. You could talk about a spiritual experience of the educational variety. You could talk about whatever you choose to call it, believe in, grasp, gravitate towards, whatever that looks like, but you ultimately have your moment. So I want to take the last part of, of this episode, having you on, to really talk about the shift, the shift in your belief, the shift in spirituality, the application process on it, because ultimately that shift has caused you to be the man you are today and be able to have an amazing life, right? So why don't you kind of take a moment just to talk about the spiritual shift that took place in your life? So after... Um after uh, meeting Ron and doing the years with him, I ended up being on going 
getting released and going straight back and uh, straight back to crime and actually opened my own call room. <laughs> oh, shout on, out to all the telemarketing. Yeah, based there. on what Ron had told me about and all the knowledge I had on, on uh, telemarketing was from hours and hours of Ron and what he told me I needed to have set up for him when he got out. <laughs> <laughs> and I found an opportunity to do so. Uh, I ended up going back to an Alameda County Jail again and I got was in a, a two-man cell and every I was facing 25 to 70 and uh, I gave up. I gave up. I'm waking up. For, I lived with this celly that there was a towel that covered our light in the morning and every morning we had a little stool with a table. Every morning he would move it over just enough to see his Bible and I'd wake up, pull my little blinder off and see him with this light shining on him and I'm like, fucking idiot. You know, yeah. but with light and but something something changed in me and facing the twenty five to seventy and for all of these charges, which I can get into that on another episode. Uh, but the way it works is, is I I got on my knees. I just not so much on my knees as in my heart and started begging for I'm tired of relief, I need recovery. Number one. I I begged for the if I number one, get me out of this twenty five to seventy. You know what I mean? Yeah, get me out of yeah. yeah. delusion, yeah, made a deal. I made a deal with God that I tell someone every day about him and what he's done for me if he gets me out of this. So I start studying the Bible now and I'm reading it and I'm working it and I'm actually now we're in this cell twenty three hours a day, me and this this uh, other gentleman and we're going having Bible studies back and forth. As soon as I begged God in my delusion made the deal that I made with God, uh I got the the lawyer phone rings in the pot. I go out there and and that's when they offered me the twenty five to seventy. I didn't even know what I was facing at that point. I knew it was a lot. You knew it was bad. That's right. all I know. He, me, he tells me I don't suggest you take this deal. I said I haven't even seen my police report yet. So he sends over the police report gets there that night or the next night, and I read it, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I and I tell my the, the cellmate I had to the cellmate I had to read it with me, and he looked at me and said they have nothing. They have nothing, and whether, whether that's God, uh, I have to say yes, it is, because they should have absolutely had, I thought, it was, you know, I mean, when I got picked up and taken back on these warrants and things, I thought I was going to have money laundering, drug trafficking, and things like that, and they had me for burglaries and theft of means and all these things that I was in jail in another state when they were building these, I was in jail on a warrant, and I was out on bail. Regardless, they built. They had 17 days to build a case. 13 days of those, I was in a jail in another state, and they didn't do their homework. Ball dropped. Is that ball dropped by them, or is that God intervening and and, and doing I mean, something? Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. No. Correct. So now I'm really going through this transformation. Now I'm like, oh, he can do anything. And now I'm begging for. Now, now I'm starting to get a deal for. It starts with the word probation. So I'm looking yeah. pretty good, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so then I'm like, man, if you can do all this, then I might as well ask him to get rid of my addiction as well. So I am praying, like, incessantly uh, to to remove this addiction, make me a better person, let me let me just live a life that, that I, I can be proud of at some point, or my parents can be proud of, or all the, all the effort that's been put into me. So I go to court, I end up getting a year, which... This is the last prison yeah. sentence I've done. I end up getting a year. Uh, got on the yard. Now I'm sitting at Hamburg going, man, you know how it is when someone walks in and says they found God uh, when they come back on a new charge. Yeah. You know, the eyebrow goes up. And I'm like, man, how am I going to face the, 
fellas and yeah. tell them that this is what I'm doing now. And I was nervous about walking across the yard with a Bible. I was nervous about like what I would look like to them. And then all of a sudden, it didn't matter. Uh, it became more of a, like I got into studying. I will tell you, like I got into really studying the word. I got really, I want to give that a shout out to Apostle Paul, by the way, like yeah. that's my dude right there. Uh -huh. He really broke down the Bible and like, understanding that Jesus wasn't just someone that hung on the cross in my grandma's kitchen no more. Like I actually found out, I had to know how I was forgiven. Like everyone told me, you'll be forgiven, you know, but I could never forgive myself. And I don't need to forgive myself at this point. God forgave me. Wash away my path. Now I understand how, and that's through the relationship and through the studies and the things like that that I went through. The spiritual experience that I have had is nothing short of a blessing, a miracle from God. Uh, we can get back into the tattoo thing in a minute, but when it comes down to it, so now I'm on the yard and I'm going to explain to people that knew me that this is what I'm doing now and this is how it is. And now instead of worrying about being weird walking around with the Bible, now I feel weird not walking around with it, if that makes sense. There was a conversion that happened. Sure. And the, the position I'm in now in my life, I didn't even know stuff like what we're doing now existed. But I just knew and I would proclaim it that, hey, I will be doing, I will be sharing this message and I will be helping other addicts. And I will be saying, I just did it this morning at my, at my work, so I'm about a girl who couldn't, wouldn't see her family again. You know, I hadn't seen mine in 11 years and I had to share with her that, yo, just keep, she said, you gave your life to God. We control the things we can control and the things that I can't control, I give to God. Yep. Straight up. Uh, and, and, and things seem to work out. You know, when I'm, I'm on the yard now, I've already had the tattoo that we talked about earlier and COVID hits. Now, if you would have seen the original design of my tattoo and the original intent, I forgot I even had this thing on my back, right? I'm sitting there watching uh, TBN, because now I'm a Christian. I'm watching that's TBN. Right, all the way in. And, you know, that's what it takes. You got to be all the way in. And the, the whole point of when we did, when we did, we designed my back tattoo and stuff, which the gas mask with the cross and blood of Christ, not even understanding what it all meant. I was sitting there watching COVID and I'm starting to see the doctors in those tents out in New York with the crosses on their masks and stuff. And I go, oh. and I'm still not putting it together. Well, anyways, it starts hitting the prison and I'm, I'm, I started praying, God, just give me a mask. I only got a year. I don't need to be out here. And at some point, a voice told me, you already have yours. And you're protected. You're protected. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not working out the next day without my shirt on. And someone comes and tells me, that thing on your back, that tattoo on your back is exactly, basically what, told, what, what, then the two and two came together. That that's what was being talked about. I was already protected through this tattoo. Weird stuff, like I said, you get goosebumps on it. Not yeah, weird, no, but blessings, I mean, but if you really put it together, like that cross, that blood, everything I put manifested five years prior because just because I didn't want to be told I couldn't talk about God and I wanted to strip out every day because we had to strip out on our way back from ECI and I wanted to make sure this guy saw it and, and he even, you're a racist. Obviously, you don't know what this is. This is a religious piece. You're ignorant. But, <laughs> right? We had these arguments, okay. uh, plenty over these things, but. That's when I really knew God had a, God had a purpose and God had, had things going going my direction. And then I get out, I go to a, where a place as a member or a client, patient, whatever you want to call it, where I work today as an employee. And uh, it ends up being a faith-based clinic. I end up being allowed to, to 
to say my message that I promised I would carry for God if he got, you know, in my deal, delusional so deal making. And, and here we are, you know, Ron, <laughs> sitting next to Ron, Ronnie, Ronnie right now. Ronnie <laughs> right, right now, Ronnie, no matter what. When it comes down to it, you know, the face of shame, the, the, the face of recovery when it comes right down to it. And I'm proud, as, I, I'm really proud to be sitting here and having, having this conversation with you guys and, and all of us being able to say, Regardless of what our higher power looks like, or regardless of what you think yours looks like, if you're looking for a, a physical answer to a spiritual problem. And I could never, I, you could tell me all day what was wrong with me, but what was wrong with me was I had no spirituality. I was spiritually, I wasn't raised uh, physically poor. At the end of the day, I became spiritually poor. And now that I have that, I really want. I really enjoy sharing it with people. Got me, Chuck. Got me. Yeah. I mean, we become did my job. spiritually <laughs> intoxicated. You know, for um, sure. It, for me, the easiest way I could explain the difference between spirituality and religion is religion is organized, and spirituality is an experience, yeah. right? And the ways that I identify how to experience my higher powers through moments like this, through hearing your message and having awareness and being a part of, being present in relationships in prayer and meditation and service work, I introduce these things into my lifestyle on a day-to-day -day basis and I continuously experience spirituality and I become spiritually intoxicated. And once that belief and your awareness, how you're able to recount every moment, the tattoo and everything that has happened to you to lead you up to this moment, nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Now it's just a fact that there is a power that I choose to call God that flows through me when I do my part. Miracles happen not only in my life, but in everybody's life around me. And we get to experience the promises, you know, materialize over and over again. I mean, that's what this thing's all about. And the promises are materializing all, you know, you work at a reentry facility, faith-based, right? You get to share your message. You've worked with thousands, thousands of people by this point, right? And not only that, but we got this other thing that I said is revolutionary to the game. It changes the whole game. Advanced peer services. So I want you to take the, the last moment here as we kind of close this thing up, just to really talk about, you know, because you're the founder of it. Um, shout out to Kristen. Big Absolutely. shout out to her. Um, one of the, the smartest people that I've met, and I realized that within a five-minute conversation <laughs> when she explained to me what she had done in a short period of time. That was all the evidence that I needed. That belief turned into a fact pretty quick. <laughs> and uh, so why don't you just take a moment just to share about Advanced Peer Services and what it's all about. So, in the uh, how I'm employed is, is I, I credential people for peer support. Uh, we run a seven-week class, but I was realizing that there has to be more to it than people just sitting in the, in their seats, and there ha it has to be available to people that outside of the ones that just got out of prison or recovery centers. So, I had the idea of taking a manual. Uh, I called Kristen was one of the students at our clinic. For whatever reason, it's the only time I've ever, re again, God having a, a hand on our life. I rearranged the classroom to put her right in front of me because I knew there was something about her. I've never done it again, and I've never done it before that. But in that, uh, developed at least a friendship or a camaraderie with her. But I knew she was very smart, and, I, and she ended up getting a job as an intern after the class and becoming a, a, a full-time employee as well. Well, I had this idea sitting with Ron. Uh, we were at Tapatio Cliffs last summer, and in the pool, we were all talking, and I thought, of it. I've been having this idea that we really need to see what the people know that we're certifying. And 
there's no way to do that. Everyone's just basing it on how many hours you sit in a seat. There's no retention value, uh, no retention gauge there. So in talking to Ron and my other buddy, Roy, uh, who we worked with, who I worked with, who's my supervisor, who we were also in prison with, uh, who had been with this company since the beginning, I said, hey, what if we came up with a way to, number one, my whole idea was for it to write your note for you, but that's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what if we took this class, put it into a, um, into a digital form, and we're able to spread it out across the internet, and uh, actually certify people that haven't that have been out of prison for three to five years or seven years that have a positive story to share, not just I got out of prison and we can build access for this. Uh, I met a lady at the same pool that develops these things for a living for big corporations. I had a meeting with her. I found out that I was way off on everything. I was thinking that I actually needed a learning management system. In that time, though, I needed to get a manual out and uh, approved by, uh, by the insurance companies, and I ran it past Kristen. Uh, Kristen is the co-founder of our company. Like you said, the brains, when it comes right down to it, I think on a big scale, she knows the nuts and bolts and gets very, very passionate when I don't listen. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I called her up out of nowhere on a Friday, and I said, hey, I need this manual written. Do you think you could do it? And she... She told me yes, and she did it. I had the meeting with the lady that develops these things for a living, and she told me that this isn't going to work. Uh, you need what's called a learning, a learning management system, and so I did some homework. Uh, purchase a learning management system well, with this learning management system, and what the product that Kristen actually has developed, it, it pinpoints specific data points, and it's specifically engagement. Because if we're not engaging the people, they're not retaining anything. They're not learning anything. They're just sitting in a seat. But what that has unfolded into now is there's a trifold to this, which is now we can actually provide psychoeducational services and IOP services uh, virtually as well as in person through this platform. It has an actual app uh, that's on Apple Store and the, and the uh, Google Play Store. So you can download this app and you can now study but what it is for is for cohesive staff training and actually for credentialing to make sure that the people who are credentialing to work in behavioral health are qualified are qualified to do yeah. it that they held at 80 percent that they that they do know what they're talking about and if they don't know we can find in staff and in training we can find their weaknesses and strengthen it so that idea is now unfolded into psychoeducational services because if we're you could be an IOP all day, and if it's not engaging you, or there's nothing to be said behind it, uh, vocational training as well, you're just having words bounce off you, and you're, you're leaving without the tools or the skills you need. Now, if you know someone who's strong here and weak here, we can support their weakness over here and get them up to, up to speed or scale. Or, really? We really want to see a success. We really want to take the modalities side by side and see what works and what doesn't for people. And the only way to do that is with data and we caught some resistance because, let's face it, recovery is an industry and a lot of the people that have been in the industry in a while know in order to show a success rate, they have to show a failure rate and they don't want that. And now with the new things, new laws, 988, crisis intervention, uh, all the things that are coming out in Arizona anyways on October 1st, uh, the rules have changed and the next three years is a data grab and we just happened to get involved in it early. We're able to 
to collect the data, we're able to show the payer, which is like I said, industry, that what's working at what clinic for what demographic. We've also taken and we're able to think of the rural, the high-risk rural populations that uh, the native population is probably Yeah, they're getting exploited, you know, right? I mean, it's sad. Uh, and be able to actually credential they, they do have their own behavioral health system, but they don't have the population to sustain it. So while they are here in Phoenix or wherever they are at their prospective recovery centers, we could, number one, get them to GEDs if they need it. We do have a GED program now. Uh, we can get them to GED and get them credentialed into uh, peer support to go back and support their community's behavioral health center. Which is, it, which is so needed. I mean, this app is, is unreal. It gives you the ability to peer support, certify your staff, your, your clients, check, check, you know, track every analytic known to mankind. I mean, it checks how long you, you went, you took a piss. Yeah, it does. Well. <laughs> it, 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 does. It, it, it tracks everything. But what, so that, like you said, what that gives you the ability to do is to see where your staff members are weak, be able to give you the ability to train them, help them, support them, or trim the fat where it needs to be trimmed, right? And it, and it also allows you to introduce all those other things that, that are just so necessary to a full spectrum of recovery, to learn vocational training, to get your education, right, to go into a career. Because you know as well as I do, everybody comes into treatment, day three they want to be a fucking counselor, counselor. <laughs> right, right? They're all counselors, right? But this gives you the ability to actually provide them with a career path that when they actually get hired, they have the ability to perform their job because they know what they're doing. It wasn't a multiple choice question, right? Where three answers are fruity pebbles and cocoa, you know, cocoa pebbles, right? We've talked about this, right? Um, it gives you the ability to actually learn, and with that, with the learning comes confidence and comes the ability to help others because that's ultimately the number one goal: is client care and helping the next man by utilizing our past to help others. It becomes our greatest asset, man. And this app, man, for 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 everyone out there, reach out to Advanced Peer Services. Reach out to Chuck. Where can they find you at? What's the website? How can they get a hold of you guys? Well, it's Advanced Peer Services LLC.com is where you would go and you would uh, go ahead and request a demo or request information at the info button. Uh, Kristen will respond to you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean and not only does the app do all those many things, but it also is an excellent billing tool, uh, right? I mean, let's let's throw that in there because ultimately all treatment centers are also, they're also called businesses and businesses yeah. need money to keep the doors open to provide fantastic care is the goal to the people that are so desperately in need. And this app completely changes the game. And I, in my just opinion, I think that every single treatment center in some way should have this app. And if you're interested and you own a treatment center, you work at a treatment center and you see the need, reach out, advanced peer services. So Chuck, man, it's been a blessing to have you on the show today. Yeah, we appreciate you, we love you, and I'm just grateful that you know you're a part of our recovery team because recovery is a team sport. Yes, it is. So for everyone tuning, you know, keep liking, subscribing, you know, sharing the message, sharing the podcast, reach out to us, drop the comments. If you want to be on the show, man, reach out to us. Ronnie, no matter what, I appreciate you and I love you too, my brother. Love you too, Jake. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Ronnie right now. Ronnie right now. All right, tune into the next episode. Thank you, guys.